Hey everyone, it's Tom Karadza, and when we got started in our own business, I don't think we were quite prepared for how lonely of an adventure it was going to be. Your friends don't know what you're going through, your family doesn't know what you're going through, and whether it's real estate investing properties that are going to be your primary business, or starting up you know, some online or bricks and mortar business, whatever it is, it's an extremely lonely place. So in this episode, Nick and I try to share some of the lessons that we learned over the last 10 and 12 years in building up Rockstar Real Estate and uh, stuff that I think we wish someone had given us some guidance around when we were just starting out. So hopefully you can pick up a a tip or two or hopefully something from uh, what we've gone through. We suffered a lot of pain over the last few years. I mean, it's been a great experience and we have a lot of freedom today and we had a lot of freedom shortly into the whole adventure. But, you know, uh, some of these things we really didn't know until we kind of dove in head first. So um, that's going to be the topic of this episode. And going forward on this podcast, I think the breakdown is going to be, Nick and I were chatting about this, about 50% real real estate specific stuff and 50% other topics. We love talking about the economy, interest rates, uh, business building, marketing, health and nutrition, and all that kind of stuff. So we're gonna kind of mix this up. It truly is, we want this show to be about living life on your terms. So it's gonna be, real estate is obviously a really important part of, uh, in our adventure, and we're gonna be sharing a lot around that, but we're also gonna be bringing in other topics. So hopefully you enjoy some of that stuff. And if you wanna pick up more resources from us or anything, the best website, because we have a ton of them right now, but the best website to go to is always going to be rockstarinnercircle.com. So if you go to rockstarinnercircle.com, you can learn more about us and pick up other resources and that kind of thing. So without further ado, let's take you into this episode. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, let's try this, Nick. I'm not sure how we're going to segue into helping everyone learn what we've learned the hard way by spending money on needless things over uh, the years trying to build a business. But I think we're going to, we'll share... We'll share all the mistakes we made. Yeah, you've definitely <laughs> spent more money on needless things than I have. Yeah, I've definitely i uh, i i spend more money than Nick. If you're listening to this, needlessly, I don't know if it's needlessly. I spend money experimenting and learning, <laughs> and investing in myself. All and right. Sometimes those lessons are failures. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? When they go good, I get the benefit of them. So it works out. It works out for me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. The biggest failure, the, still the biggest failure, the biggest waste of money I, I, I made for us was a $6,000 two day session with some marketing consultant in Chicago. I feel what we that? just, we just spoke about that. I think on one of the earlier episodes, we actually brought that, that up. That's the epic that one, one. It sticks it's out the, that much that it's it the first thing that always comes to mind for either one of us. It hurts so much. Yeah. But you know what? I had one recently too, and I forget what it was. Yeah. You did have one. Yeah. It was an epic failure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you would remember that pretty clearly. But some of our ads that we've ran for, for Rockstar over the years have been epic failures. Remember when we ran ads in newspapers and we discovered the newspapers are going to be going out on a Friday and that Friday that it was going to pour rain? Yeah, and then the kids just, I think they just ended up throwing them down the sewer or something. I'm convinced the sewers are clogged in Toronto of newspapers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because those newspapers never went out. And remember, I remember us saying we should have just spent $1,500 burning those ads on the front of the the office. Yeah, but we'll take a a video because we thought the video would have got at least a little bit more exposure than, than what we ended up getting. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, I agree. All right. So for context. Actually, the lesson in that, 
to me was anytime we think an ad looks good and is going to perform well, we shouldn't even run it because it's going to be a massive failure. You're right. Anytime we thought something has been good, it's been horrible. Yeah. So we should just always go against what we think is good and then we'd be, we'd, we'd be doing pretty well. Oh, uh, I had no idea. What did your, if we knew, looking back on business, so if you're, if you're listening to this and you don't know a little bit of our story, we started at zero. Like when we started, when we quit our jobs, it was starting from zero revenues, zero database of clients, zero clients, zero office, zero business cards. Yeah. Most, like a lot of people, they, they go into the same industry they've been in and they, you know, take clients with them from wherever they've been working or whatever. We literally, we went into a complete different industry we weren't in at all and started clawing and scratching from, from nothing. And at first, none of our friends even, not only did we have no clients come with us, none of our friends even came with us. No, completely thought we were insane. Yeah. yeah. Now they do business with us. So uh, might still think we're insane. Agreed. Mildly. <laughs> but um, I think the biggest thing that we've learned the hard way in starting, I don't know, Nick, I don't even know where we began. Yeah, I have a, I have one that I was thinking about okay. today. How about I share that? Yeah. And I don't know what even, what I haven't even discussed this with you earlier. I was thinking about it today. I was talking to, um, to my wife about it actually, because there's this whole thing around passion, right? It's, it's really for the last, I, I mean, number of years now, it's always been about, you got to find your passion and that's where, that's where things head. And um, you shared a book with me. It was so good. They can't ignore you. Um, I, Cal, Cal Cal Newton, Newton something, yeah. something like that, yeah. right? Really good book, and it made me start thinking about some stuff. And I I agree with a lot of the points in the book because you know and the main point is like if you're really good at something, the passion will come. You can you can develop passion. And what I find is so many people go around looking for their passion that they end up not really doing anything because they can't find whatever it is their 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 passion, right? And and I started thinking about like a hockey player. I really like hockey. Right. But if I went and played hockey at a high level, I would be the biggest pylon. I would never touch the puck. I'd always be on the ground. People would just be skating around me at all times. And my passion, you know, no matter what level my passion was when I started, if I played like that, my passion for that is going to obviously change because it's not nearly as fun for me. Whereas if I, I'm not a big baseball fan, but if I started playing baseball and all of a sudden I started cranking home runs and I was like a superstar fielder and things like that, you yeah, know what? Get pretty passionate. My passion is <laughs> going to be, yeah, I'm gonna be like, this is awesome. This is amazing. I'm going to jump at it. So I agree with that point that like sometimes it's, it's really about de- you can develop your passion based on your skill set. Right. I mean, it, you know, real estate investing is no different too. Like if, if no one's super passionate about answering calls from their tenants, you're not like, hey, you know what? My tenant's calling me. This is great. I can't wait to pick up the phone and take this call. The, what you're passionate about is kind of the results and your experience after. So if you've been an investor for a number of years and, and it's benefited you, all of a sudden you become very passionate when you're talking to your family and friends about real estate investing. You're like, oh my God, it's been amazing. It's because you've grown the skill set and you've got all this benefit from it. Yeah, you get better at handling tenants, better at handling the problems that come yeah. up with real estate. And it's not as much of a big deal anymore and you really be get, get passionate about the whole topic. Yeah, so I, I really think like passion might not, you know, to so many people, passion is the first step. I'm going to look at it the other way. And I, I'm not sure passion's really the first step. I think you just got to try stuff and see kind of where you're headed and what you get good at. And then slowly, when you're really good at something, you become passionate about it, right? And the passion shows that, through. That book, by the way, it's Cal Newport. Oh, like Newport. Newton. Yeah, I do. Cal Newport. So good they can't I- ignore you. Why skills trump passion in the quest for work you love. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It just gets you something. It gives you something to think about. And I've realized that for us, a lot of the things that, 
you know, we went through like, look, you know, marketing lead generation and stuff, which I really enjoy now. It's like a big, it's like a big game. I mean, it was nowhere on my radar before, but as we've done it over time and we've gotten better at it, it becomes a little bit, a little bit more fun to kind of, you know, figure out all the pieces and put them in place. And you become a little bit more passionate about it when you're speaking about it too, because you've seen the benefit of it. Now we've gotten more passionate about the marketing than even the real estate. Sometimes we understand the, I think we understand, you know, the whole your life, your terms message. We understand that good marketing on properties, good marketing on top of a business is really the key to success and freedom. So that's why I think we've paid so much attention attention to that. Well, but go on, you were saying, no, you know, no, just getting passionate on that, about it. No, on that note, one of the biggest things for us was really about the processes that we were able to use to generate income from the properties, right? And it would quick, you know, became... Yeah, the ability to get multiple prospective tenants at the property at the same time. Well, it quickly became obvious that that was so valuable because it generated all this demand. We could go Whereas and Whereas other investors thought the numbers were the intrinsic value of being an in, in real estate investor. So, I mean, so did I, we, so did we at first, so did right? we, but yeah. then we quickly realized, oh my gosh, whoever can get the most people to the property in the shortest amount of time gets more money and does it faster and yeah. can really live the life they want to live. Yeah, my focus early on was the spreadsheet. If I could get the magic spreadsheet to calculate the way that that property would run and the numbers on that property, that, I was like, man, this is gold. Tom, Tom, look at the spreadsheet I got. Let's use it. Let's put the numbers in. Not realizing that like, well, who? cares like well you can put whatever numbers you want in there and it doesn't matter if you can't generate that demand right i just had a flashback to another book that had a huge influence on me i don't even know why this one's coming up right now but you know that book how to win friends and influence people yeah that was a good one that book you know i, I still tell everyone to this day that book changed my life when i got into the work world i think there was a tip in that book that said that the music to most people's ears is their own name and I was on a sales floor of about 140 salespeople. And I remember making a decision that I was going to memorize everybody's name. And I would walk around the office calling everybody by name. By name. And I don't know, looking back, it was a little freaky. But I don't know, I, I became a really popular kind of consultant on the floor there. And uh, it all worked to my advantage. That was, that was, I still, would you, st you would still recommend that book to everyone too. Oh man, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lasting lesson I got from that one. The one I got from that one, I don't, I don't remember that, but it was always make things about other people. When you're communicating with them, never, you know, make it about you and what's in it for you. Make it about what's in it for them. And um, that that one stuck with me to today. So yeah, there, there's many lessons Is in that there. Right? It's yeah, valuable. so they share that in that book because I always remember that principle by this. I snuck into a chiro. Did I ever tell you this? I snuck into a chiropractic conference and pretended I was a chiropractor. No, I don't, I, think, I don't think so. No. <laughs> so I, I was. Uh, Friends of mine were up here from the U.S., I don't know, 15 years ago, more. And I was reading this book by a chiropractor, but he had turned kind of like personal development guru kind of guy. And he had a personal development book. Um, his name was Dr. Demartini. And the book was something about the breakthrough. I'll have to look it up. He was a chiropractor guy early on? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah he was oh, a chiropractor. Wow. No, I didn't know. And I was reading this book and I was fascinated about the book because he shared what you just shared. In the book, he said, hey, if you really want to understand the world, understand that your value system, if you communicate in your value system to your wife, to your children, to your business partner, to whoever, and your value system isn't the same priority, it's not in the same priority order as whoever you're communicating with, you're going to have trouble persuading and convincing them to do what you want to do. But if you speak to them in terms of their value system, so for me, if career is number one and money, and that's not no longer the case for me, but standard, let's say, male in Canada and the working age and maybe it's career and then family is like the one two order of your value system but if your wife or spouse is you know family first 
and then friends and then career and you're always talking in terms of career to her you're never going to communicate really well that just kind of blew my mind and these guys were up here um for this conference and the, and they told me it was at the western harbor castle in toronto yep and they said dr d martini was going to speak and because this book had such a powerful impact on me, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to go to this conference. And they said, well, no, it's only for chiropractors. And I said, well, can I be an assistant chiropractor to you guys? Just get me in as a guest. So they got me in as a guest chiropractor to this conference. That's awesome. And I heard him speak. It was great. It was just another one of those journeys. I forget. I think I had to pay a hundred bucks or something, but another, uh, another uh, investment into ourselves. So anyway, we started way off topic. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's what we do. I mean, almost on top. What was the next one? So, As I was going to say, almost off topic. I think the biggest thing that really we learned, we I don't know why we believed in this so strongly, but when we first went into business for ourselves, we we learned that our money was most effective when it was spent on something called direct response advertising only, and not branding or sponsoring or business cards, or letterhead, fancy letterhead, or even a fancy website. We just came to realize that we needed to get customers, and any money that we had should be on direct response marketing, meaning that, you know, run ads, try to get people to respond to us directly and do business with us, and that was our sole focus. Do you remember we had no business cards? We had no website? Why? why? Yeah, I remember, but why? I mean, I can answer the question. I'm just curious. Why didn't we? No, why direct response marketing? I think direct response marketing, if you're not familiar with the term, the idea with direct response marketing is that you run an ad and you are directly asking for a response to you. So it's not an ad that says, hey, our company name is Rockstar Real Estate and here's our phone number and there's our logo and we're cool. And hopefully you call the number, which is a lot of advertising. This type of advertising, direct response advertising is really intended to be nothing about you and all about the other person. Going back to how to win friends and influence people and talking Mm -hmm. to people. So you put something out about your business that is all about them. So in our case, it was how to help people buy properties and make cash flow with properties. And we put that message out and we put a little report together and said, hey, if you want a report to learn how to do this, call this 1-800 number and we will mail you the report. I think back then it was straight mail when we were doing it. I think so. There was no email at that time. And so It existed at that time. I should say that. It yeah, just so it was effective emailing. use of our advertising money because... It was no fluff. It was going out to our an audience saying, hey, raise your hand and tell us you're interested in this kind of stuff. And then if anyone raised their hand and asked for the report, we knew we could kind of aggressively follow up and market to them about possibly doing business with them. So it really got our audience to self-identify as possible customers for us really early on in our business. Yeah, that, that was the key to me is that then now, you know, I felt comfortable that we were talking to people that were interested we weren't just blasting out this to message. The masses. Yeah, because, you know, maybe out of whatever the number, a thousand people, there's only a hundred that are interested. And then we're wasting our breath on 900 people. Or in this case, if we're physically sending out, you know, marketing material to them, there's a physical cost to that. And when you start out, that you know, every physical cost, you try to limit it as much as possible. So I'd rather only send it to the hundred people interested and not the thousand people hoping that some, some people get it, right? So uh, to me, that's kind of what always resonated with me. I was like, now I know that I'm speaking to the people that at least have some interest in what I'm doing. I'm not speaking to someone that has no interest in it whatsoever and just wasting my time. And it's the hardest type of advertising to learn about. Like it's not, there's not many books on it. You know, like it was something we kind of just stumbled into the idea of, but it wasn't, you know, and found different mentors and books and stuff, but it wasn't like something that I had ever really heard of before until my, 
maybe mid twenties. I didn't hear this idea yeah. of direct response marketing. Had it was you? the no, I, I hadn't. It was the number side of things that appealed to me because I was like, wow, now I can, you know, if I spend this, I can try to track a return on it. So for me, you know I was always like, I, I always wanted to kind of see that, right? Here, you just you just made me realize it, the numbers part attracted me too, but also the risk reduction. I remember before I quit thinking, if Nick and I are going to go into business together, because I have a family and you know I need to support my family and a mortgage on the house and stuff, I need to be able to turn business into something beyond a business plan, into something that we know we could just measure to see if it's working or not. And the idea that it, this type of marketing was more like a system, like place your ad, measure how many people respond, measure how many people of the responses become customers, had this certain kind of appeal where I decided, oh my gosh, if we could just figure this little mathematical formula out, now business isn't a mystery. It's not just like, let's go into business. It's like, let's run this formula, place, add, measure response, measure customers. And I felt like I was reducing my risk. You know, a lot of people think entrepreneurs are risk takers. I, and, and I really think it's the direct opposite. Even with our properties, we've always looked at multiple options, worst case scenarios. We're trying to reduce risk at all times. And in this, this type of advertising, I felt like it reduced our risk because it was reducing business to a mathematical yeah. formula. And you know what? On Shark Tank, just the other day, I heard one of the sharks say something and I just I just thought, you know, we always talk about business and, and we, we whenever we meet a business owner, we just talk to them and say, hey, how do you get customers? Because we know that's ultimately the whole value. Like, how do you get customers? And I heard one of the sharks on Shark Tank say, hey, what's your unique, what's the unique appeal of your business? You know, they, they either have a trademark maybe, yeah. or there's something different about whatever they're selling. If you marry those two concepts, like if you have a unique business and you know how to get customers, that's business in a box right there. Yeah. What is your unique advantage to the market and how do you get customers? In if you the, can answer those two questions, you're gold. You're right. But in, in that, so and I'm just curious because in that, what you were just saying, you mentioned business plan. So what do you think about the business plan? Business plan? Because there's going to be a lot of people that come in here, right? Because I know because consultants come in here and say, guys, what's your, uh, can we see your business plan and your business projections? Yeah, you, yeah, we both, yeah. I know you know the same <laughs> thing. They're useless. We used to think business plans were something of value, but it's so useless. Like to, to sit down and try to forecast out and what percentage, like the, the worst data I ever see is that, you know, uh, if I'm going to go into the telecommunications market with my business and the telecommunications market is a $6 billion industry. And if I only get 4% of that industry, then my business yeah. will be worth this much. Great. I mean, you know, I can throw out ideas and math, that kind of math at you all day long. How are you going to get customers? If you can't answer that, then, you know, yeah, what's that, the business? That's market? often the missing part. It's, it's, we're in our society, you're, we're in a constant battle for attention. Right. So you got to figure out how you're going to get someone's attention. That, that's kind of what what goes through our minds on a totally. regular basis. Right. So it's like, hey, whose attention are you trying to get? Where is it? And what are you going to do to get it? And how consistently are you going to get yeah. it? Yeah. And that's the key. Everyone's walking around with their heads in their iPhones. Uh, they're watching Netflix. They're watching YouTube. They're talking to friends. They're texting with people. They're on Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. How are you going to get someone's attention? You know, and that's going to be that's a real difference maker in a business and something that a lot of people leave out, especially when it comes to products, because they think that their product is going to be the magic answer. But the best product with no way to get people's attention, it's meaningless. I think the most beautiful thing about this time is that there are multiple media choices. So if you're a writer, 
You can write. You can write on Medium. You can write your own blog. You can write wherever you want. If you are good with, you know, if you're going to be good on video, you can go on YouTube. You can make your own channels. You can be a vlogger. If you're going to just talk and interview people, you can do audio. We're in a time where all forms of media are wide open to all of us. And it won't always be this easy. Even though attention is divided and it's getting harder to get attention, every year it gets harder and harder. The sooner you start, the, the more opportunity I think you have yeah. to capture some of that attention. It'd be nice to have the evening news again that, you know, whatever. Because I remember when we were kids, the evening news was on almost every night. And there was like I probably one or two at the time. I don't remember. But we watched the same one. I'm pretty sure, you know, they were watching CBC at that time. But it was like, you know, when there was five different networks to choose from, it was very easy to advertise to people. Knowing now there's what like we know 150, now, oh my right? Gosh. Knowing what we know now about advertising and direct response advertising, if you could just place a direct response ad on one of those TV stations, you could capture all of Canada instantly. Yeah. No, <laughs> That's what I feel like. I feel like you would immediately have exposure to the whole country. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, that's the first one. Is there uh, what's what is there is there another business lesson that we've learned over? Well, the years? social media is a hot topic. What do you think about social media? I mean, I you know I can share my thoughts, whatever. But my, you know, well here I'll start. Social media to me, you know, everyone. It, it, sorry, I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people when they talk to us, they say, "Hey, you know what? I'm just going to market on social media. That's how I'm going to generate all my interest and stuff." And that's cool if if, if that's their plan. A couple challenges with, with social media. So one of the ones in my mind is that you're really handcuffed by the platform that you're on. So if you're doing Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, you know, if your account, something happens to your account, you don't own any of that asset, right? So you're kind of limited. So if Facebook all of a sudden decides, you know, Tom, if they decide they don't like you for whatever reason, and there's been all sorts of reasons for, you know, with, with the people have got their accounts banned justified and unjustified. Um, and then all of a sudden, everything you've built up is now lost and gone. And you don't really have a say. You can't really get through to them. I mean, it's very difficult for that type of thing. So um, when people are looking at social media and using it within their business, I think it can be good, uh, you know, as a part of it. it. Just for me personally, I just feel like it's a little bit outside of my control and I prefer yeah, because to control you're not stuff more. Yeah, I think because both you and I believe the true value of a business is the database and relationship with the customers. And if you build up your database quote unquote database of customers on a platform that you don't own then they can change the rules and all of your work's gone so you know that's kind of one of the things and the other thing that comes up for me is that social media from our experience in building business is best for follow-up it's the social proof about your business it's not always the most consistent lead generation uh, generator for your business like it's really good at showing social proof that you exist and showing who you are and showing you know, how authentic you are in your business and that kind of stuff. It's excellent. It's, it's amazing for that. But to get new customers and clients, I find, you know, better Google ad, you know, Google. Well, in, to, yeah. In, to get new customers and clients in a way that you can be consistent and grow a business. So, exactly. if you, you know, if yeah. it, now if yeah, you're talking. Because you can get new ones from social media, totally. no doubt. So and we know people here at Rockstar who do. Yeah. And it depends on what size of business you want, what your plans totally. are for the business, yeah, yeah. those types of things. So, yeah, it can work. Don't, you know, I don't want, I just don't want people thinking, oh, you guys said it couldn't work. No, no it no, works it 100%. Work, it just, but at what level do you want your business to be on? And what speed do you want your business to grow? Yeah. Because uh, if you go to some other mar uh, media platforms like, uh, you know, 
like Facebook advertising or Google AdWords. Well, look, don't, okay, here's a great example. Well, I don't even know a specific product, but take like an infomercial product and put it on social media and try to market it like, for your t- I don't know, you take pictures and videos of it and how cool it is and put it on Facebook and see where it goes. Or buy, uh, you know, some infomercial time slots, the 30-minute time slot infomercials that, you know, they demo the product and it's the best car wax ever and you can light it on fire and it does all this stuff. You know, which one sells? There's a reason why those products are investing the time and energy to produce those spots and pay for the spots. Can you imagine producing a 30-minute infomercial? No, I couldn't. Oh, I, I, yeah, and the thought that goes into the, oh, like every second of those infomercials, oh. they're, they're all scripted, they're thought about, they're tracked for they're performance. So I'm in awe of most of those. I wa- I, I definitely, I'm guilty of watching them watch, sometimes for lessons. You know what I haven't seen recently? Is, is Proactive still doing infomercials? I haven't seen one recently, but they- well, They you, grew a billion-dollar business. Yeah, but you know what? They were sold. Yeah, they were sold. They were sold, and they might, maybe. No, they must be still running in them. I don't know, but they were sold, and I mean, maybe, I don't know if that influenced kind of where they started marketing. One of my favorites still of all time is Slap Chop. I miss the Slap Chop. Oh, yeah. Isn't that, that guy's back with something. No. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy, and it's like this, it's some sort of chopper, but it does something differently. I swear, you know what, I, I, next time I'm going to, I saw it somewhere, (laughs) I got to share it with you. But that guy's back, not the Slap Chop, but there's a new thing that's like the, the Dice Chop or something. It's like not far off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we because and that's just direct response ad. That is direct response advertising on TV. That's what the infomercial is. Totally. And and there's one thing about social media that's hard, is that it's not easy to measure like some of the other advertising platforms. Like if you run an infomercial, not that we're running infomercials, but if you were to have the money to run a 30 minute infomercial, you're going to one eight hundred number or a call center number. You can track the calls. So going back back to like the math of business, something that I think helps a company quickly grow to seven figures in revenues and beyond is being able to measure and social media you can't really it's, it's difficult to kind of measure like these other media platforms let, let's say radio tv facebook advertising google advertising youtube advertising those things you can specifically measure dollars in how many people showed interest out so now i just have this mathematical formula maybe we're just too scientific about the thing but i just i, I love that stuff that's I mean, the, there's a reason. I mean, we, I heard a stat the other day about just the, the volume, you know, just the amount of money. It, it was in 2016, and I, it was definitely the majority, but between Microsoft, Google, and Facebook, they spent 60 or 70% of their ad budget on TV. Yeah. Not on online. I love it when I see Google AdWords ads on TV. Yeah, right? Because they're trying to get the business owners on there. That's not where they're advertising, yeah. right? So it's, it's uh, yeah. It's interesting. Just like a lot of different people that teach internet stuff, they're getting clients from other markets offline. When we first, re- when we first, didn't you feel a little duped when you first realized that some of the internet marketers that we were listening to were advertising and get our, getting our attention like at conferences and that like. And that was their other, primary source. Yeah, the of primary them. source for them to get customers was face to face in conferences, but they were teaching internet marketing. Yeah, it was. That uh, was when we connected the dots on that. That was. Uh, yeah, that, I was that just saying that. I, I was, it was amazing how it's such a simple thing. Oh. I could, but I didn't realize it. Someone had to point it out to me. Yeah, yeah same here. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so it's just, you know, I just think there's lessons in everything and you, you can't just follow in someone's footsteps because you think that's the latest thing, right? I mean, everything's got to be, it's important to track things and have an understanding. It, it gives you power in whatever you're trying to do and, and from a business standpoint. It just gives you the understanding. One of the other things I think that we've learned maybe the hard way is that the number one priority in a business especially the, the early months and years, 
is always acquiring new customers yeah. as opposed to building the better website, the, the, the sexy looking website or the fancy business cards. So, you know, it's, it's not only running direct response type advertising, that it, it's staying true to it and not getting distracted. Because I see a lot of people start a business, get some customers. I mean, we saw, we, we helped a guy, I don't, uh, I don't even want to say the name right now, but we helped somebody start a business. Um, and I remember they were making more money in that first year than they ever had with their job. Yeah. They quit their job. They told us straight yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. I made more money in the last like nine months than I ever did working by a multiple. And then they just stopped generating leads because they got distracted and they started buying fancier stuff or whatever they were doing. I know they stopped so, all marketing and went on vacation yeah, like for they, a month or something. Yeah, yeah. We didn't, I don't think we went on, that was, that was something we didn't do for a long time. We never went on vacation. Um, there was a, there was one that just came, uh, uh, that came to me and I just forgot it. Um, it'll, it'll come back. Well, another one I think that is, is that, that I often enjoy and find myself repeating is that what's the trend going on in the marketplace? I know when, um, for real estate stuff, we noticed a trend that a lot of people seem to be interested in real estate investing. A lot of people spend it to, seemed to spend big bucks on boot camps to teach themselves on real estate investing. Um, so there was this, in, and there was books. Remember, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad just changed the game on real estate. Remember when, when did Rich Dad, Poor Dad come out? Late 90s. Oh man, that was a long late, time mid, ago late now. Late yeah. 90s. Um, let me look that one up. And uh, um, so what trend's going on in the marketplace that you can kind of jump on? So we, in some weird way, recognized that a lot of people wanted to buy investment properties, but there was no kind of brokerage that was built for real estate investors. So we could kind of ride this existing trend. So that's a big business thing for us is don't invent the trend. What trend is already happening that you can jump on board with a unique offering? That's, that was a kind of a big lesson for us, I think, over the years yeah. on, on just the power of that. Right? Yeah. And then I think understanding for us, it was just understanding some, some of the backend number of numbers of your business and understanding the costs associated with it. I think early on getting into business, I, you know, I always thought that gross was net, right? So if I, if yeah, I, if, if I heard that someone had a million dollar business, no. I didn't think they were like making a million bucks, but I probably realistically, you know, I remember this is when I, I had no business experience at all. I probably thought they were making about 900 grand. Oh, same right? here. So like, yeah, yeah. you know, so I didn't think it was far off. And then once you get into business and you understand all the expenses of everything involved, you realize that, you know, the, the margins are, are, are much smaller. So you got to account for that early on, because if you're, you think that there's, there's margins to be made because you're buying something at 20 bucks and you, you think you can sell it at 25 on a regular basis, it's really going to be limiting because that $5, sure, you make five bucks each time or 10, whatever, but what other costs are you going to have? And is that really going to, you know, pay for those? Um, and I think it's, you've got to take a deep look at those numbers early on, right? Because it, it, it impacts what you're able to, you know, your cost to acquire a customer. I don't want to get, you know, to go so, too yeah. far down that rabbit hole, but, no, you're but, right. but how much you can spend on, on, you know, totally. on everything else it's, around the it's, business. It's why right? software companies are so have such good growth rates because their margin is like 25%, like a standard business margin for many industries is going to be 10 to 14 or 10 oh, to 15%. Yeah, yeah. 25%. Some as low a construction company that might be having a tight year could be 
if they're profitable, so it could be 2% Yeah, and I was going to say grocery stores and, and restaurants are notorious for really tight margins. Large margins yeah. Software companies, huge, like something like a 25%. So, um, but so yeah, it's not 90%. We're developing a real estate investing app, and if you'd like it, go to www.initialpublicoffering.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, by the way, was published in two, uh, April 2000. Man, I thought it was earlier. I don't know if we can believe Wikipedia or not. But it's April 1st, 2000. I thought it was a lot, lot before yeah. that. Okay, the next one. Um, I think one of the ones that uh, we learned the hard way is if you're going to go into business for yourself, so if you're listening to this and going to business, you're going to have to have thick skin because everyone, and I mean almost, I, I won't say, I would say most people um, told us don't quit your jobs uh, stay, stay doing what you're doing. Getting into business is crazy. And your idea you is complete crap. Your, It'll never work. Crap, it's never going to work. They told us that about real estate properties too. Like I remember buying real estate properties when everybody was buying tech stocks and they told me I was crazy then. Um, so, and then business, you're crazy. And then when you get into business, I think the most rude awakening for us is, you know, when I went, when we got our, when we quit our jobs and got into business and joined that first brokerage that we joined, I thought it was going to be just kind of, fun and 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 i didn't i didn't anticipate that the it's not fun it, many days were not fun <laughs> <laughs> many days are still challenging um but uh the the uh i remember the owner of that brokerage kind of telling other people behind our backs that we were going to fail and that kind of bothered you know when we found out that was happening I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like people told us not to quit our jobs and people told us not to start real estate investing. And then we get into, uh, to go into uh, business for ourselves, um, have our real estate licenses, join a brokerage, bring this brokerage business. And behind our backs, these people are telling us they're going to fail because we work with real estate investors and real estate investors are, in their eyes, the worst people to work with so that we were going to fail. That you have to, remember? Remember what we were told? You have to list to last. Yeah. You, so, so you have to list properties to last in the business. And we were going directly opposite that, that uh, uh, of that. We were we were finding people to buy, to last. <laughs> that was our strategy. So I think that was the rude awakening for me. Just how how thick your skin's gonna have to be because everybody's gonna be against you. Very few people are gonna understand what you're going through unless there's uh, you know other people who who've gone off on their own and running their own businesses. Yeah, and along the same lines, I think for us it was really important. One of the things that helped us was we really focused on what we had to do and not on yeah, competition the or the yeah. you know the, the latest here's the latest person doing something real estate investing i wonder what they're doing we should copy because yeah, we should be doing, doing that too we should add it on and we should be doing this well, you know we just stuck with our guns we're like hey this is what we believe this is what we focus on this is what we're really really good at let's stick with it and kind of keep going and i think you know to do that requires something like what you said about the thick skin because everyone's going to be like hey guys you should be doing this you should be doing this and and, and you, you know, should work with these people yeah you should buy properties over here and they're yeah. not attacking in in a, in a bad way but sometimes it just feels like little pokes all the time like oh man maybe i should be doing this oh i should be looking at this well what else should i be doing oh let's see what these guys are doing we'll add this on and then all of a sudden you're trying to be someone you're not and it, it doesn't serve you or your customers right they came to you for a reason because you do whatever it is that you do you don't have to be everything to everyone else you know, you, you, you don't, um, you know, the thousand true fans principle, who, who wrote that? What does site sign on? Yeah, that's a good one. It's great, but it, you know, it, it hits, um, it really hits home because it, you, you real, the, the principle behind this is that, you know, if anyone or any business has truly has a thousand true fans that they can have, you know, everything really they need, um, within that business, 
you know, from that. So you don't have to be all things to all people. You just got to pick whatever it is that you're excellent in. Gary Vee talks about this a lot, a lot of the times. Yeah. That essay, by the way, is Kevin Kelly. So what's the site? Thousand True Fans. It's something odd. Something really odd. KK.org. Okay. KevinKelly.org. I guess KK.org. So, but yeah, when Gary V talks about it, he's like, hey, maybe you're the guy that likes this certain type of video game from the 80s or whatever. And like, you're just the guy that serves people that do that. Well, you know, whatever it is, he, different examples. And, you know, all you need is those, you know, a number of people that are really that into are you fan. and what you're offering. Yeah. And, and that's it. You're and good. your relationship with that group of people is. Yeah, it's so huge. When, when, and when you're, you're starting out, at least for me, it was very, um, there's been a lot of companies and people in the space that have come and gone since we've been in business. And it was very enticing for me to see what they were doing early on because there was this kind of like uptick and growth for them. And I was like, Oh, what are they doing? Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should, maybe they should do it, do it, you know, doing this. And you end up uh, chasing instead of kind of carving your own path. Yeah. That's a good, really good way to put it. So it was, it was really valuable. Once I finally got it through my head, cause it took a lot of kind of like, you know, double checks when it finally got through my head, like, Hey, that doesn't matter. Just stick with what you're doing. It was so much better. Not only was it better for the business, it was better for me because it freed up so many mental cycles. Cause now when I hear that, I look at that, like I might think about it. So I might he- think about the idea a bit, but I'm just like, Hey, you know what? I actually got these 10 things that I got to do. Let me do these first. And then I'll, I'll look at that when I got time. Yeah. And I think on that note, what we've come to realize is that y- your own unique voice in whatever industry or business you go in is the unique identifier of your business and will attract your own thousand true fans that could be different than our thousand true fans. Sure. Like oh, we're sure. All, we could be in the exact same. We tell people in real estate this all the time. We don't look at anyone in the real estate industry even as competition because the way we're going about things is going to be slightly different. Yeah, some than people the way are going to like about it. Things. And some people will like us. Some people will hate us. Exactly. Yeah. And so what? I don't like, you know, by the way, those people that hate us, I don't like them no, either, just for the record. Yeah. But, but uh, <laughs> we uh, but we want the best for them. <laughs> we. I broke up with them first. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's, and it, it, Nick, it reminds me of something else that we've kind of learned over the years. And we've both kind of felt really good about this one is that living and working by principles has made our decision making faster. Cause I think when you start in business, sometimes you don't know what path to choose and you can mm-hmm. spend days and weeks saying, do you do this? Or do you do that? Do you chase these customers? Do you chase that opportunity? Like you're saying when you live by principles and our principles that here, here at rockstar is what we share with everyone is that we have three principles and it sounds ridiculous, but I'm pretty sure I picked this up from Lou Holtz, a Notre Dame coach, I think. Yeah, famous Notre Dame coach. I don't know. Some sales manager showed me a video of this guy that he had like the VHS tape for. And I just kind of wrote this stuff down, stuck with me forever. And the three things, I'm not even sure they're hundred percent his, but the three things were always do the right thing, treat others as you treat yourself and give 110%. And it's all, if I could even reduce it down to one, just doing the right thing. Anytime we've been presented with a money-making opportunity that looked like it was quick money, but felt like it wasn't the right thing to do, so we went against it, how many times have we looked back and said, oh my gosh, thank God we didn't do that? Oh, often. Yeah, often. So it's allowed us to move faster and stay focused by just living and working by principles. We left money on the table. We left money on the table, but long-term, our reputation, and I think we've earned more money and grown faster because of it. I was Yeah, and I was going to say happily, because looking back, I wouldn't want to deal with what we had to deal with. So, yeah, I I definitely think it's uh, happier. And then the purpose comes into play, too. So, like, you know, our purpose that we put down um, 
a while ago now was, you know, to give people the tools to, or to give people tools they need to live life on their terms. And it's, it's basically from personal experience. The things that have helped us, the things that have benefited us is to put those things in place. And, um, and you know, so when we're looking at new things to do, whether it's a new class in, in the office or it's, you know, a new, anything that we're doing, maybe it's a presentation that we're doing at one of our events, whatever the case may be. We're like, hey, well, hey, does this align with what the long-term purpose is, you know, to, you know, along the tools to live life on their terms? And, and it makes, it makes the decision making easier because if it doesn't, we're like, eh, just not yeah, do it. But if right. we're like, well, you know what, this is something that greatly benefited us. You know, maybe it's not, everyone's going to like it or be interested in it for some reason. Well, that's cool. If they're not interested, this they're not interested, but it's something that greatly benefited us. So for us, we, we think it's so valuable to share because we've got so much value from it. Totally. Right. Another uh, practical thing I just want to share on business building that um, really has served us well. And if, you know, if I, I was sharing this with my own family or son, daughter about kind of priority management was time management kind of gets overwritten by priority management. So what I, what we mean by that is that for us, Nick, I think we always defined our daily priorities on like, hey, man, this these two things have like you have to go get this done. I have to go get this done. Yeah. And it didn't matter how long it took. It just needed to get done. So we never really time managed our day starting a business. It was what are the top one or two priorities that day that had to get done? No exceptions, no excuses that they wouldn't get done that day. And then the next day, the next set. And it really didn't matter how long, how much time those priorities took. Those were the things that had to get done. Yeah. So priority management over time management would be one thing that I think for us really served us well. well, because I can't, I couldn't schedule it. Like you can't, it's hard to say like nine to 10 AM, I'm going to work on this and then 10 and 11 because everything takes longer or sometimes you get distracted or there's interruptions. But if you know what must get done that day, even if you have an interruption, you either shut down the interruption or you handle the interruption quickly and faster than you normally would, so you could get back to to doing what you know you needed to get done, right? Yeah, that that was that was super valuable, super super valuable. It's something we still do. I mean, today, like this yeah. morning, you know, everything's shut out for me this morning because I'm working on something. It's a multi day thing. I didn't get it finished, but I got a good chunk of it finished. Um, you know, it's the number one priority. So everything goes away. Calls go away. Emails go away. Um, you know, listen. You know, we're in we're in a real the real estate industry, and I don't take incoming calls. They all have to be scheduled and stuff. And and I I didn't often take. You know, very early on is when I stopped taking unscheduled interrupted calls unless it was something that was pressing that unless needed we were to be, doing a deal. Yeah, yeah. So so that needs to be handled then. But I I just wouldn't answer the phone. Like I just don't because the phone will interrupt you. We with had blackberries, and we took the only reason to get a blackberry was to have your email on your phone, and we took the email off the blackberries. Yeah, you remember that? It just wasn't because it was interrupting us. But but at that time we had BlackBerry Messenger, which was like the holy grail of messaging at that messaging. time. Do you remember oh BlackBerry yeah. Messenger was like and the not coolest only that, thing. And our voicemail, I paid some company. I know you get it free now on the iPhone, but I paid some company to transcribe, transcribe my yeah. voicemail, so I wouldn't even have to listen to voicemails. So this would be in like two thousand and seven. We were paying money for a service to do that. That saved me so much time. But yeah, we deleted email off our Blackberries because of that kind of stuff. We just, no distractions, singular yeah. focus. That's been, that, that's been hugely, hugely valuable. I got a really, I, I mean, I have a routine that I use now when I need to get into like a zone for working that's been worked for me quite, quite well. We'll get into another time, but it was. Uh, What's your favorite morning routine right now? Mine varies, but, but like today, for example, when I had to, um, when I had to get like a few hours of solid work done, you know, um, 
I go to the gym in the morning because otherwise, you know, my mid-morning I'm going a little bit squirrely. So I go to the gym very early. I think I was there, um, I don't know, I'm usually there between by about 6, 6, 6.30 at the latest. I'll get there, work out, come home. So you're home. getting up at 5.30? Yeah, roughly around then. I'll come home. Um, I, you know, I take uh, my daughter to school every day. So I'll, I'll drive her, either walk her to the bus or drive her to school. Um so then, you know, I, I can have breakfast, shower, take her to school and stuff, which I value. It's just cool. I mean, it's literally 10 minutes out of my day, but I just like talking with her and hanging out. And then, um, you know, I'll, I'll do, so the routine to get in this zone now that I, that I use, that I like, is I actually have what I call a fat drink, but I uh, got it from, uh, it's probably one of the recipes from Dave Asprey, which I kind of moved, you know, from the Bulletproof Diet that I kind of changed slightly. But it's just water, grass-fed butter, Coke, uh, MCT oil, and it's all, um, and then it's all kind of uh, boiling water, so it's all hot, blended all together with a little bit of stevia. I put uh, collagen protein in it, and I drink that, and then I go to, I put on some like concentration music, you know, I get mine from brain.fm, uh, which you, you tracked down and you found, and I put that on. And I, I still use brain.fm. Yeah, me too. Today. Me too. So I, I do that, and like literally today, when I was when I was ready to sit down, I think by that time... Um, I was running a little bit late today because some family stuff in the morning. So it was about 9.30 and I went straight from 9.30 to about 11.55 because I had a call at 12 that I had to jump on. Um, and I went straight from 9.30 to 11.55 with that on and I got, a, I got a ton done that I feel really good about. So it was awesome. So like, and if you look at most days, one of the things I looked at up a couple days ago is I'm like, what, you know, from all these studies that they do, how many hours is the average, what I think I put in like office worker work. And most of these studies, they'll come back roughly in the same range of three hours. Three hours of the actual working time of productive time. So for me, by, by using, you know, by that little routine, whether it, it actually does anything or it's a placebo effect and it's just kind of like a habit now, if that gave me two and a half hours of solid work time, I'm almost at 100% of what a typical productivity what is. What time do you go to bed? Um, 11, 10, 10, 30, yeah. 11 o'clock. I don't need, I mean, sick, you know, I get... I mean, I, you know, I see it in my app. I, I, I don't sleep probably enough, but for me, I manage, you know, I, I sleep probably six hours a night on average, just over, just under. Which so app are you using range. now to, to measure? Well, when I see the whoop app, okay. I, I'll see what I, I'll see what I, what I sleep. But, um, that but was I, another thing I spent money on. You yeah. have benefited from a lot of my money. Spending. Well, you bought that for me. So I really benefited from yeah. that. Yeah. But it was a birthday gift. Was it? Yeah, it was a birthday gift. Okay. You bought it for me what early. What a nice person I am. See, I look at it that you bought it for me early and you were too cheap to buy me a birthday gift. So you gave, you just said that was for my birthday. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> no, I think you should look at it as I wanted mine sooner. So I just bought it right away so I could have one. And then I got you one yeah. saying, I'm not giving this to you to your birthday. That was the plan. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. So, okay. Yeah. So the morning routine is pretty good. So whoop. Uh, so if you're not familiar with what uh, whoop, that's that whoop band. You wear it on your wrist. I think it's whoop.com. Anyway, um, you mentioned something else there too. Bulletproof. One other thing. And then what about right? You're just using paper to write your priorities for the day. Yeah, I'm guilty of kind of knowing it. What I'll usually do is like the couple things that I have to do is I'll put um, into my calendar at like at a, like at like nine eight thirty nine a.m. or whatever. So when I wake up, those couple things I know I can just look because I have that time slot blocked off, and it just says do not book, and it says do not book, and then I'll just add dash, and I'll just give the the few things that I got to work on. So if it's some writing for something, if it's a presentation, if it's a speech, you know whatever it is that we're working on. For me, I need to some for some reason I'd benefit from seeing if I'm really in my highest product activity days and weeks I need to be seeing my top priorities throughout the day so for whatever I don't know what it is I need to see them so I write them on paper 
And then this year I'm using the productivity pl planner from intelligentchange.com. Yep. Is that the website? Intelligentchange.com. But before it was just index cards in my wallet. Um, so then every, every time I grabbed my wallet, whether I was buying a coffee or, you know, getting a sub or something, I opened it up and saw my priorities for the day so I can never escape them. And somehow just looking at my priorities multiple times through the day made me more, more productive. Yeah. I just kind of reminded me, I think to like ignore the distractions and focus. The biggest thing for me in all this early on that I learned, cause it would freak me out. I would, I would have a list of stuff to get done when I used to write it down. And I didn't get it all done, and it kind of really ticked yeah, me off pissed. afterwards. Yeah. So I did. Um, I stopped trying to do as much. Yeah. And it's so it's weird. Like it's counterintuitive. Two things, yeah, but it's counterintuitive, yeah. right? But now it's just the morning, and I just do what done. I can get done. And but then I'm able to get it done, and I'm free. I literally feel freedom. So like to sit here and and do the podcast, I'm not distant because I'm thinking about, wow, oh, man, I didn't get that thing done. I'm I'm freaking out because I got to get back to that. I need to get it done before the end of the day. I got my stuff done in the morning and the afternoon I would love to use more if the, and if it becomes available and I have more time to continue to working on that, I'm going to do that. But if it doesn't and everything goes as planned cause I'm booked with other stuff. Well, so be it. I'm booked with other stuff. I got done what I need to get done. Right. So, so I would you know say how you got smaller that, bites. You know how you got that test done about your biology and uh, we learned about dopamine and I got to pull it. We got to talk about that at some point. Yeah. But I wonder if that's a dopamine hit for you getting stuff done. Oh, it is. Like I know if I don't is. get my stuff done, if I don't get my dopamine hit. So oh, it is. pissed no, off for the rest of the day. When I listen, when I can cross something off a list, I'm like psycho happy about it. So like yeah, literally, get, you know, it, we'll, we'll bring we got to bring Dr. Cowan on here and talk yeah, about this because stuff. if I if I wrote down the list of things to do in the morning and like my things were like brush your teeth, get dressed, eat yeah, breakfast, yeah, you're, and you're I and happy. then and then before I started the day, I got to cross off like three things. I am like, this is great. I've already got three things done, which really give me nothing, but but I've got them done. You, you know, you felt good. Like I wasn't going to get dressed in the morning yeah, and just yeah, walk yeah. around my underwear all day. Yeah. Okay. What else do we want to share? This is going to, there's too much to share all in one time here, but, uh, what, what else would you want to share here? I think one thing that I want to share that was counterintuitive was the customer's not always right in business. That, uh, if you are clear on what you're doing and you have the ability to get more customers, um, you can disagree with a customer and not really, care that much because you have the ability to get more customers. I think people, the saddest people I see in business are the ones who are bending over backwards to their customers. And I feel like they're doing it out of the wrong place. Like they're doing it because they don't have the ability to get more customers very easily. So they bend over backwards, promise too much, cut their profit margins down. And it just makes for a poor business because when you cut, when, when you're not feeling good about delivering what you're delivering to your customers and when you're eating into your profit margins by discounting yourself for your customers, it just, the whole business is kind of rough. So your customers are always aren't right. I think it took us, it took me a little while to understand that, but I think we're both in agreement on that one, right? Yeah, And it absolutely. comes from the ability to get customers back to that marketing and director and focus on getting new customers. Yeah, it's, it, you know, and maybe it's not that they're not necessarily right, you know, and it could be that, but it could just be that, you don't have to like, like you said, bend over backwards or do things that really aren't in your wheelhouse. You know, you get to live life on your terms. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be on their terms, right? There's so there's there's a solution for everything that make that can work for everyone. You know, and sometimes that solution is like, hey, I can't do what you're asking me to do. You need to find that elsewhere. Here, let me even try to help you find it elsewhere. 
And it's kind of it, early on, it can be hard because you're like, wow, I'm giving up this money. This yeah. is like well, early on, income generated. We turned people away from student rental properties, even though we knew how to do. We, we own student rental properties. Yeah. And be, we turned people away because we weren't focusing on it. And that wasn't the focus of the business. And based on what they were after with real estate, it wasn't a right, a right fit for them because they were willing to kind of, you know, some of their ultimate goals and what the lifestyle they were willing to lead for for as an investor into those properties a little bit different right. too, right? So. Um, now, now, yeah, no, I mean, there's a, I mean, listen, we've been doing this. Is there's a long list? There's all sorts of other stuff that we've done wrong, and and I guess that's the key here is that all these things that we're talking about. It's not that we have them all figured out. It's from the why these were were what we believe is because we did things the opposite way, yeah. And then when we started doing them a certain way, we're like, wow, this really works for us. So I think that's that's where it's coming from, and you just gotta try to do more stuff i mean we've fallen into sometimes when we, we do a little bit less stuff and and you feel a little bit stagnant and it's not so much that you're not getting stuff done that it's just like you fall into the same routine and and you're not learning anything and i think that for both of us when we feel like we're not learning or progressing oh, at all it gets pretty yeah it gets pretty frustrating i think right? that's why i quit my job and i just knew i had to quit i knew i wasn't going to learn much more in the next 10 20 years in that industry well the growth rate in a lot of positions is quite slow mm -hmm. so if you're someone that wants to kind of accelerate and, and reach next levels quickly it, it can be difficult for sure there's one other thing that we learned really quickly that i want to share is that never have a single point of failure in your business so never have one way to get customers, never have one lawyer, uh, you know, in the real estate business, never have one mortgage broker, never have one property manager, never have one paralegal, never have one market, never have one way to get customers. So a lot of times, you know, we, got, we would get too reliant on one media. So one way to get customers, that's always a bad thing because if that media, if that type of advertising stops working on you, you're screwed. So always be testing multiple ways. So a lot of, you know, if you're getting a lot of referral type customers, if we were getting just like customers and, 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 and new clients into business through referrals only, that would scare us because if the referrals dried up, even though referrals are great customers, if the referrals dried up, then we wouldn't have any more growth. So just no single point of failure in operations, software programs, everything. Yeah, and we're, and we're still working. I mean, we're, we're still, still working that's on a that. Yeah, yeah, thing for we're sure. working on. No single point of failure everywhere just to make the business redundant. Um, anything else you wanted to share right now? I mean, no, not right now. I'm looking at my schedule and I have to, you know, we'll you, wrap you, it up. You, 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 you've got, you, you've got me on the schedule. I yeah, got to, I got to schedule. Yeah. No, that's not what it is. But I mean, we could go on for this for a long, long time, but I think that's, that's a good basis of lessons that we've learned. You know, at least I feel that some of the most important ones that have really benefited me um over the long run because i was i was way out to lunch on some of those early on you know I and i have so I've, I have i have a lot of stories i can share with that but you know i just i just wasn't in that place i mean we had to we learned all this stuff from scratch we didn't know what the no. heck we were doing we were stuffing envelopes on a cement floor in my garage and then in my basement on all fours and not even using a little water and sponge to lick the envelopes. We were licking the envelopes for these marketing reports. Water and sponge? What are you talking about? When someone told us the good, that's yeah. that was step one. I'm, was, I'm still embarrassed to, to to say that we thought that was a solution. It was when someone said, "Hey, why aren't you using a glue stick?" We're like, "Wow, that's brilliant! A glue yeah. stick our to seal envelopes." But it wasn't even our first business breakthrough. Our first business breakthrough was a friend of mine walking by our garage saying, "Hey, do you want to borrow my table so that you don't have to be on your 
your hands and knees stuffing envelopes, you can kind of stand up. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> thank you. Our business breakthrough. But uh, that and uh, do you remember when we licked like 150 envelopes each, like for multiple nights in a row? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure we have some brain damage from that. <laughs> yeah. How much glue can your body take? But uh, anyway, so hopefully you got something from that. We'll leave it there. And I think this is a topic that we can dive into detail on almost any of these points. But um, for now, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate uh, you sharing this with your busy schedule and slipping us into your day. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Tom Kradza. So thanks for listening to that episode. Hopefully you picked up a tip or two or maybe just got a good laugh of what we've been through over the years. It's been quite an adventure this far. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to the next uh, next five and ten years. And we'll be sharing the whole journey along the way. Um so the next few episodes, what we have planned right now is we're going to uh, bring on um, someone who's flipped over 20 properties and get them to share, um, you know, the lessons they've learned over the years on how they flip properties. There's a lot to that whole game. We're going to be talking about the economy on an episode. We're going to be bringing someone on who talks about apartment buildings. Um, and we have a couple other real estate specific ones in the pipeline, as well as some non ones like e-commerce. So we have someone, um, you know, a couple guys actually, who are going to come on and talk about their e-commerce business, how they started on Amazon just a few years ago from nothing and now are running pretty good sized business. So in an attempt for all of us to learn on how to create streams of income and how to how to live life on our terms. So that's the idea. If you have any suggestions or topic ideas, if you email the best email for this show is going to always be podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. So that's podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. Fire your email off and it'll get through to Nick and myself. And that's it. We'll talk to you next time.